Hello, everybody. Today's episode is with Cam and John from Lena. Lena is a food of the future. Um, they have a powder product that comes in tubs as well as single serve packets. And spirulina is a, is a product that I didn't know a ton about before I got to know these guys. Spirulina is a blue green microalgae that transforms carbon dioxide into protein, iron, and vitamins. Yes, that is on their website. That is linked in the show notes. These guys um, also from Chicago, and honestly, it's one of the most innovative, unique, delicious, cool to see in person because it turns blue when uh, when it hits oxygen. Uh, it's one of those products that you see and you're like, whoa, this is, this is really cool. Really enjoyed talking to John and Cam um, about why they came up with Lena, what pushed them to really jump in, leave their full-time jobs, and and start a CPG brand. Uh, they have a really cool story, and they've learned a lot along the way, even though they're still very early in their journey with Lena. They're just getting launched. Uh, they have a D2C site. They're on Amazon. Um, if you guys want to check out their product on Amazon, you can use code LENA10, and you'll get 10% off um, your order. So go to Amazon and check that out. I'll add that uh, that coupon code to the show notes. But again, it's Lina, L-I-I-N-A 10 for 10% off, uh, your, your, uh, your order on Amazon. So definitely check them out. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by routine. When we sleep, we, t- we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly from sweating. Routine has come up with a product called morning routine. This is something that I use on a daily basis. I love my morning routine products. It's the first thing I do when I get up. I pour one of these packets into my bottle of water, and it's the first thing that goes in me. Tell you what, it used to be coffee. Coffee first thing in the morning is what I think most of us used to reach for, but when you drink coffee, you become more dehydrated. So start your morning with morning routine. Tear one of these packets into, a, like I said, like a bottle of water. I, I use a shaker bottle. Shake it up, and you're good to go. Each packet contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. You can try morning routine as well as their other products, such as green superfoods, vitamin D, apple cider vinegar gummies, elderberry gummies, all the above at yourroutine.com. And if you you guys go and use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll receive 30% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a staple in my house. I always have some on deck. They're great when I want something sweet, but I don't want all the sugar and all the bullshit that comes with sweet, unhealthy foods. So the Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. They're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and only contain one gram of sugar. Get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. On either their website, EliteDonut.com or Amazon, you can use the same code, and that code is ShaneWhite30 for 30% off your order. All right, everybody. Excited for you to listen to this one with John and Cam from Lena. Without further ado, give it up for John and Cam. All 
All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. I am pumped today to have John and Cameron from Lena on the podcast. Fellas, what's going on? Not too much. How are you? Sounds some algae. Doing, <laughs> doing great. I love that. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for taking the time to come on. And um, I am pumped to learn a little more about Lena. Obviously, I've worked with you guys a little bit. I have the product at home. It's phenomenal. For everyone listening who has no idea what Lena is, would you guys mind just giving a real high level overview of the brand? Yeah. 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 Lena, it's um, a first of its kind spirulina infused protein powder. So three years ago, Cam was reading a book by a guy named Rich Roll, who's another famous podcaster. Uh, yes. And <laughs> in the book, he talks about spirulina as something he consumes regularly. And Cam is an active Ironman competitor and I was a college basketball player so we both had some overlap in our lives between wanting to be healthy and find way, finding ways to stay healthy especially as you get older and spirulina was something neither of us had heard of and the benefits of it were endless it felt like and we both wanted to immediately add it to our diets and the real founding story of Lena was we couldn't find any products that had it besides the raw powder format and even then trying to get it into your diet you really have to be a, a health nut to want to do it because it tastes really bad and smells really bad and it's hard to mix. So the benefits, there's a lot of obstacles in the way to get to those health benefits. And so we went down the path of trying to create a drink first because we didn't know both of us came from corporate and corporate world had no idea about consumer world. And we just walked in Whole Foods and said, oh boy, it'd be great to have a drink uh, with spirulina in it. And that was it was a very organic process. And then uh, we realized how hard that business would be. And so we pivoted towards powders. And uh, so now it's uh, vanilla, coconut, spirulina infused protein powder. Love it. That's exciting. And for yeah. you guys, like, obviously you have the product now. You, you're recently launched on Amazon and D2C is coming. What would, that's like the one almost, right? Like you made it from zero to one of like a concept and yeah, a book yeah. all the way to bringing it. What were some of those early conversations like for both of you as, as obviously you said you both were in the corporate world, like doing that and leaving to make a, a brand built around a spirulina drink is obviously a huge jump that lots of people talk about little or few people ever do it. What were some of the kind of like pivotal conversations that you guys had that really cemented that you guys wanted to leave those comfortable jobs and, and do something like Lena? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't, it didn't all happen all at once you know i think sometimes when you listen to some of these founding stories it just seems like you know someone had the idea and then the next day they were funded by all the best like vcs <laughs> and then the next day they're you know on the cover of you know tech crunch or something right and not saying that that can't happen here but at least for us uh you know we just first and foremost like we knew that we needed to create an actual product so we could have a product to go and fundraise just given our backgrounds we kept asking ourselves, like if we were sitting on the other side of the table, you know, what would John and Cam have to come and pitch us uh, oh, I like that. To, to then, you know, look at it like a real idea and a real business. And I think, you know, it took us so long because we went through, you know, two, three beverage developers to create the drink and we didn't know anything. Right. And so it, the first step was literally Googling, you know, <laughs> beverage developers, Chicago, and then coming up with a list of like, eight to 10 and then calling them. Right. But the issue when you're calling with them is like, you don't really know the right questions to ask, you know, they're all in pitch mode too. So everyone kind of sounds 
like they can do the trick, you know, do the trick. And, sure. Um, you know, we, uh, we definitely had some ups and downs and, you know, picked, picked a few developers that couldn't necessarily get the job done. But I think what we learned is like each one led us to something else. Um, and then led us to actually completing the drink with a formula that was great. And then like John was saying, we just looked at that drink business and then said to ourselves, it might be a bit easier to do powders in the beginning. So let's do that. Got it. And for you guys, like you said, you're, you're talking to drink developers. So before that, were you, did you guys have that, you know, famous moment in one of your guys's kitchens, like trying to mix powdered spirulina from whole foods or wherever you were, where you bought it at the time, trying to see if it would drink would even make sense. Or how did you guys get to that point? Uh, yeah, I mean, we went to whole foods and we just bought, like, we thought it was going to be easy as just buying the raw spirulina, (laughs) buying some fruits and vegetables, you know, mixing it in my apartment and then just sending that formula to a developer. Yeah. And I think we quickly realized that spirulina in its pure form just wasn't that appetizing and how hard it was going to be to not only make it appetizing in our own kitchen, um, but then, you know, turn that product into something that was, you know, commercially viable. And protein drinks are especially hard to create because there's a shelf stable aspect to them mm-hmm. and they're really high pH. And so it's really easy for bacteria to live in those drinks versus something like a seltzer or, you know, a lemonade that just, you know, has lemon juice in it. Right. So it's a natural right. acid. So it just prolongs the shelf life for, you know, long periods of time without, without much, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, risk, risk. Yeah, <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I would say in the, the whole protein, you know, in the whole drink landscape, protein beverages are probably the hardest to create. And so I, a large part of why it took us so long to get it right was just due to, you know, the obviously lack of backgrounds that we had in the beginning, but just how hard it is to create those specific types of drinks. Yeah. yeah. No, and the only thing I'm just yeah. add to this is I like to your first question, I really not to use like COVID as a silver lining to this, mm-hmm. but like a reality of COVID that came for both of us is we had the opportunity to do both a lot more easily and to get more comfortable with the idea of what we're doing and feel like we can jump off and leave and go do this full time without feeling like, wow, there's so much for us to figure out because the reality is even though we spun our wheels with the drink for two years, we learned so much doing that, that by the time we were ready to do the powder, it really, the process to create, take the drink and turn it into a powder from everything from the R&D of the actual product to the design of the label to finding the manufacturer to do that took about five, six months, whereas the drink took two years for us to do that. And so COVID was a scenario where both of us could do something from home for a few hours a day and manage both of those better because we outsourced everything, right? We didn't go find a kitchen ourselves. We didn't sit there and Photoshop and do <laughs> design yeah. ourselves because we knew that we didn't want a product that felt homemade. We wanted something that felt like it deserves to be in Whole Foods. And that's the standard that we went after from the beginning. And so since we were outsourcing, we could spend the time to do both. And it was really just managing a lot of processes. And then when it felt like we couldn't do both anymore, we looked at ourselves and said, okay, you're either crossing the river and not coming back or you're staying where you're staying. And we both didn't really think about it, honestly, because we really believe in the product and what we're trying to do. 
Love yeah, that. I, I kept yeah. saying, like, you know, the, the Julius Caesar quote where he says the dice cast, where he's across his Rubicon before, yeah. like, you know, he goes yeah. back to invade Rome, right? It's like, we can't, you know, there's no going back. I, I definitely remember saying that over and over yeah. uh, before, like, the jump off point. Because it, it seemed inevitable, but I think uh, until, like, that day or, you know, moment comes, it's, it's still a hard decision to make. Especially uh, when all your friends are getting promoted and like, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other thing, you know, it's like, man, we're looking at our friends every day, like getting new, you know, new jobs, new, like better pay and whatever, you know, and I think it's amazing, honestly, when you unplug from that for a second, like the first two months of doing Lena full time, we're not getting paid, you know, we, we took us a year to get paid from doing anything. And you just kind of realize like, wow, I'm, you know, it sounds corny, but you're waking up for a different reason every day. 100%. And it kind of, it, it's amazing, like what it feels like to wake up and not be like, I'm just working for the paycheck. And which was what a lot of personally, at least what it was for me when I was in my previous job. But, um, but yeah, it was, there were some moments where we were questioning ourselves, but you kind of just push through and find a way. And, um, you know, it's, you can get there if you just keep pushing. For sure. No, I mean, that's about the best answer you guys could have possibly given there. That was depth <laughs> and I loved it. Um, it's, it's wild that you guys thought, because I think one thing that just stood out to me when you guys explained that whole thing was, I don't know if me sitting in your shoes and maybe a lot of people would do this. Like I would have thought to have like created in my kitchen and maybe because I've heard this from like the RX bar story. And that's probably obviously yeah. why I think of it this way yeah. of like creating the drink in the kitchen trying to sell 10 to people around my neighborhood or something, you know what I mean? And then like eventually finding a commercial kitchen yeah. and I probably would have tried to like do everything in house, which can slow it down. It probably would have not looked as great. I will say for folks who are listening to this, who go check it out and look at the brand. That was one of the first things I noticed when we met you guys was like, Oh, this, these guys, it's like, it's so professional. Like it looks like it does it did exactly what you said. It looks like it should be in whole foods. So you guys yeah. hit that on the head, but what was some of the, was there anything in your background or conversations you had with other people in the industry? Like what led you guys to try to like outsource and do a lot of it and put it into professionals hands to get a product that looks professional. And then I yeah. think on the flip side of that coin, was that something you guys had to go find money for? Was that self-funded? Like, how did you think through all those decisions? Yeah, I would say it's a good question. Um, you know, so in the beginning, you know, we, we knew that, obviously the product we couldn't design the, you know, physically make the product just cause, you know, as we started having, like I was saying, like just intro um, conversations with some of these beverage developers, we quickly realized that if you, if you were to make it in your kitchen and then go sell it uh, to a farmer's market, like you might be able to do that, but just like I was saying before the, how unstable protein drinks can be. I mean, you right. might be selling someone bad product. The product might have already gone bad and you would have no idea. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm glad that we didn't do that. But I think at the same time, uh, you know, there is something to be said for, you know, trial and error and just kind of going, you know, just kind of running through the walls and just figuring out what's working and what isn't working. And yeah, I think one thing that John and I have always been really good at is, we're pretty good at realizing, okay, we have no idea about, you know, this aspect of the business, but we know it's important and therefore, okay, how do we get up to speed really quickly? And oh, so, yeah. you know, we were, we were always pretty good at, like, I'll give you an example with our design team. 
you know, we didn't have any backgrounds in graphic design, but we knew that that was going to be one of the most important things. And we also knew kind of roughly the budget that we could afford at the time to spend on graphic design. And we were just bootstrapping it ourselves up until that point. And so, you know, we basically Googled like, you know, 30, 40 graphic design firms or found them on Instagram and messaged them and then, you know, set up calls with all of them and, and then just went down the list and tried to critique them the best we could from price to, you know, could we see ourselves working with them? You know, one of the things that was important to us was at least at the time we said to ourselves, okay, if they've created any alcoholic drinks, that's mm. probably a plus just given the nature of how complicated some of those labels can be because of all the regulations. Sure. Oh yeah. And so, you know, some like they seem a little bit arbitrary, like looking back on how we rated them, but you know, it got us to the firm that we found in Virginia watermark. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to them because they've been fantastic. And, yeah. Shout out watermark. And, <laughs> yeah. They're like our uh, parents when we're at summer camp and you're sick, like we call them and they make us feel better. That's yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah. So that, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, an example of something, at least in the beginning that, uh, we knew what was important, but just didn't have any background in it. But yeah. Yeah. I would just add that, like, we kind of asked ourselves, what business do you want to get into? Yeah. Cause do you want to get into manufacturing? Cause that's what I think, that's where I think some of these brands get into trouble is they say, well, I can't find a co-packer to make the product that I want to make. So I'm just going to do it myself. And then you get into the situation where you might actually create a business in Chicago where you're selling to 10, 12 whole foods in Chicago and you can actually manufacture that. But how do you sell to all the Walmarts or how do you sell to all the Costco's because there's no co-packer that's going to take your product. And so there's some element of, we, I think we learned earlier that you have to work backwards where you say, if you want to create a national brand, here's the circle of things of, of manufacturers that can do even the category that you're talking about. And here's what you want to do. And here's what's possible. And where's the overlap. And then you think about, okay, can we do a product? And if you think about the Venn diagram, can we do a product in the overlap that we that we agree with? Are there things we have to give up on? Are there things that we have to fix about our product to make it happen? And then you're setting yourself up for a, a huge growth potential. Whereas you don't want to get to a scenario where you're in every Whole Foods and Whole Foods calls you and says, "Okay, we want to put you in all of our Whole Foods." Yeah. And then you don't have a product that can scale. And so we kind of looked at it like this is a glorified marketing and you know, logistics company, because we're not manufacturing it, we're outsourcing everything, we're outsourcing the design, the website we outsourced. And we obviously have checks in place to make sure the product is high quality, and we're satisfied with it. But nonetheless, if you're going to think about investing in anything, since it's a marketing company, you got to think about the branding a lot. And you got to think about what what that experience is like, because that's what this company becomes after you've really gotten any sort of critical mass with it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's, what's crazy as I'm listening to all this, we didn't even get into it, but what did you guys do before this? Like your corporate jobs, what industry were they? Cause you guys seem like you have such a vast amount of knowledge about like no. the CPG space. No, I would say, so like I was in trading, so I traded um, like derivatives and options and futures. Nice. Uh, and I think, you know, and I, I think one of the things that, that, that industry taught me that, I think is really viable for what I'm doing now is it, it just, you know, it, it kind of taught you to see what are the things that can go really wrong. 
right? And just, and not like, not necessarily like look at the world in a very cynical way, because that's not a healthy way to do it. But it just, it just all, you're just kind of always operating in this, you know, area where you say, you ask, you just ask yourself lots of questions like, okay, if someone's setting something up for the first time, like, do you really want to, you know, rely your whole business on that being accomplished without any hitches or problems? Like probably not, you know? Right. Okay. Or like, you know, or, you know, if you're going to go pitch other people in finance, your startup, you know, you probably want to come to them with, you know, a product that at least is really close to being ready to actually be sold on the shelf. Um, and I think, you know, I couldn't see it at the time. Uh, but I think a lot of those thought processes or things I learned in my previous career definitely helped me think a certain way when it comes to Lena. And John probably senses this too. I'm definitely a little bit more of the cynical one of, <laughs> of us too. You got to have both. Yeah, you know, exactly. but, yep. you need to get in yank. Yeah. You know, and and um, but yeah, you just you know you gotta just look at Lena as an entity, and it's just like what's the best thing for Lena, and just try to at least think about things that can go wrong. Yeah, for sure. And I was a banker. Before. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And I think for me, it's like when you're in banking, your job is to know every possible little thing you can know about the company you're talking about or about any single competitor in the space. And so whether that be financial or not, you know, and I think for me, it's just like, what is, what are people doing really well that I, that we like, we talk about that a lot with companies and then some element of it is what are they missing, you know, and where, where can we plug in that no one else is doing? And we have some things that we're doing now that are like that where no one else is doing it. And you kind of have to just have this blind faith that it's going to pan out, that it's going to work, that maybe no one's tapped this market or maybe no one's done this way of marketing before, but at the end of the day, you don't disrupt an industry by doing something that someone else has done. You have to do something that's off the beaten path and be okay with living in that space for a while until it's normal. And then everyone's going to do it and say, oh, this is the way to do it. This is how you market these products. And that's kind of, anyways, getting back to the banking thing, you just have to really, you're reading every single financial document, you're reading every single earnings report, anything on a company that is related to what you're you're, uh, you're pitching or, or working on a deal for, you just have to know so many details about it that it's what you, I don't do that stuff now, obviously anymore, but just the level of detail and attention to what other th companies are doing is something that we translate a lot into Lena because we're just starting out. Right. And so trying to, um, the best form of flattery is, is, uh, is mocking people, but or, or is not mocking, but, um, you know, stealing those ideas, yeah, for, sure. for lack of a better word. And that's kind of how we think about it is, okay, how can we do it? Or how can we do it better? Or what are they missing? And, or we're constantly having those conversations. Got it. No, I love that. And for you guys then, so you bootstrapped, you knew a little bit about it. You honestly, it sounds like you, you engineered it and figured out the industry for yourselves. And you, I mean, to be honest, out of all the stories I've listened to this one's, it's very interesting how it seems like how well thought out the, the plan and the strategy was, even if, if there were probably things that you guys uncovered as you went, when yeah. did you guys finally hit a place where you're like, okay, to hit the next level of scale, we need to raise money. And, and what were your guys' thoughts internally together as a team on whether you somehow find a way to keep bootstrapping, raise money? Was it just not possible to keep going without raising money? Like what were some of those people listening on, on your thought process there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, yeah, I think something that you, that you 
learn when you start a company and you kind of get to that point where you need fundraising is like, there's so many different ways to do it. And I think there's so many different ways to do it. And, and so many companies are start out at such a different place. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, not every company, you know, is two people in their careers and like bootstrap it up to a point and then decide like, okay, now we need to raise money. Right. Like some people start with a 10 person team and go raise millions of dollars. And that's still considered a startup. You know, some people like spin out of an existing company that was massive and get fundraising. And like, that's considered a startup, you know, and, and like, there's all these different, you know, levels to it. And I think it's just really important. At least it was really important for us to just realize that we're in the situation that we're in and we just have to figure out how to do it the way that works for us. And I think for anyone starting a company, don't, you know, get bogged down by, you know, reading TechCrunch every other day or, sure, yeah. not helpful, you know, or, or like yeah. these memos of, you know, even in CPG of, you know, these companies that are doing, you know, raising 15, 20, 30, $45 million at a clip. Cause you, you just have no insight into how well they're doing, uh, what, where they started before. And so it's not a good exercise to compare yourself to those people. And I didn't mean to rant there, but no, no, um, that's a great answer. Yeah. Love that. But going back to like the fundraising question, I think we just knew that we couldn't keep bootstrapping it. Couldn't scale it. We couldn't scale it. Yeah. At least, at least to a meaningful amount to have a really viable business. And the other aspect of that question is we didn't, we were going to fundraise having not quit our jobs. And the first few meetings, you know, one, two meetings lead to five, lead to 10. And then the narrative was, this is a great idea, but if you guys aren't willing to quit your jobs, how do I know you're fully bought in? Sure. Yeah. Which I need to rant on that in a second, but yeah. <laughs> and we have some thoughts on that as well. Uh, and I'll let John get into it. Yeah, go ahead. For sure. Yeah. But, but we just knew we needed to go raise some real money to at least get to that next big hurdle to the, to have a real Bible business I could scale. Okay. Yeah. My, my quick, I got my soapbox for a second on this. That's good. Let's hear this. I love this. When you, uh, when you say that to somebody who's trying to start a business, who are you, who's able to do that, right? Like who's able to quit their job and not get paid for a year or more and run and run a startup with limited amount of funding. There's a certain type of person that can do that. And we were fortunate enough to come from a background where we had the personal resources to fund, like spend our savings to do it. But what if there's someone who doesn't have that and doesn't have that background and they're a founder who, you know, is paying for a kid or something. I don't know, you know, or paying for a sick family member. I, there's a number of re- any number of reasons you can come up with. And it's, it's a little bit, I mean, that's something that I want to, when, when we make it, I want to pull on the, like the onion back layer back on that. Cause it's, yeah, it's it, wrong to think that someone who can't quit their job for whatever reason is not going to be a success is someone that shouldn't receive funding. No, you I, know? I think it's really I, interesting. I, yeah. Cause I mean, think about it. Funding, you yeah, guys did it. But, right. And I think it, well, I think COVID I, I thought would have changed some of that. It's a bummer to hear that it, it hasn't. Cause if you think about yeah. What COVID did is it let people to your guys' point. I mean, think about, I know for me, I mean, you, we all know this on this, on this podcast, but you know, like I live out in the suburbs. So when I worked down in town at our X bar, I mean, it was easily 
two, two and a half hours a day lost to commuting that I try yeah. to do emails obviously on the train, but it's not real yeah. working time. That's how yeah. this podcast got started. That's how the yeah. Noble Partners cool. got started. It was in that, yeah. in that extra time instead yeah. of just like wasting it or sleeping more or whatever. I just like, let's, let's create <laughs> some stuff and like build some stuff. So it's a bummer right. to hear that, that like in the funding yeah. world, that's not really changed. It's more so in the VC world, I'd say. Like okay. we had good, we had a lot more traction with angels and maybe that's just the nature of where we are. I, I may be speaking out of, out of place, you know, we haven't gotten to a round yet where we took VC money. Yeah. So it may be different then, but and it was almost a blessing in disguise that that happened to be frank, because um, uh, VCs provide a lot of value. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and say that all VCs are bad and you shouldn't yeah, take any sure. money from them, but there is an element of when you're not ready for it, if you get, $10 million in funding out of the gates. That's a lot of money to like cram down the throat of a startup that hasn't have any scale yet. I'm not even getting into how much you're giving up to get that type of money, but just to give them the return that they want on that money is really hard to do in consumer. And so there's an element of angels being more patient, angels probably being more friendly than, than VCs are in the beginning. And you can get to a place where you maybe you do go pitch VCs in the next round or the series A or the series B. And by that point in time, you're a real business. You're not a proof of concept company anymore. And you're coming to the table with a lot more leverage. Maybe you're giving up a little bit less. Maybe you're getting better terms. You can probably pick a little bit easier on the VCs that you vibe with better. because you're probably giving up a board seat to make that happen. So all that to say is that like Cam said it well, like that's our experience with it. There are some companies, if you're an experienced founder, if you've done something else, you can get VC money out of the gate and it's a lot easier for you to mm-hmm. know how to navigate those scenarios. But for people who are, we had no experience in this industry. And I think had we taken VC money, the stress is on, man. Like you're not sitting there <laughs> with money in the bank and they're just like, okay, like let us know when we get our money back. They're, yeah, right. See in a few years, it works out. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, that's true too. maybe that's the yeah. other side of that coin. It's just that if you're on the other side of the table and you're giving all this money to a person sure. concept, it's like, Hey, right. I need to know you're into this, into this sure. whole, sure. like, you're not going to like have one foot in, take my money, burn through it and then go back and do yeah. your, yeah. you know, sure. and we were a bit naive, you know, like if we're being honest, you know, in the beginning, we're like, Oh, we're going to, you know, raise $4 million. And, you know, even if it's again, like, like you're well, about- say, even if it's like if it was more of a conversation around like once we get the raise and we can afford to like do all these things and pay ourselves a little yeah we're gonna quit our jobs like that you know what i mean and yeah. i don't know if maybe that was your situation yeah i was like oh once we get like a third of the way there then like we'll quit and then didn't go like that huh like that's that. wild but I, yeah. but I think sometimes like you know sometimes you got to create some like sometimes you got to kind of manufacture like the, the fight or flight response, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you quit your job and then the only other option is to get your startup funded, you know, you best believe you're, you're going to do what it takes to get your startup funded. Right. Yeah. And cause it, cause you kind of created like the need to have to execute on that. Right. And, and, you know, and I think there is some, you know, there is some, validity in doing that uh but you know but our you know we just were a bit naive when we went down the funding yeah funding you know we thought we were going to raise millions of dollars and you know be on the cover of you know hell yeah you still may you know yeah why not right um but but we were also lucky to have some people in the industry that have raised 
a considerable amount of money for their companies. And they were telling us, you know, just prolong it as long as you can. Like, there's no need to do it where you, where you two are. Just go, you know, raise money from angels and, you know, here's roughly how to do it. And all right, everybody. Sorry, we got uh, cut off there, but we're back with John and Cameron. We're talking about fundraising. John, do you want to, you've just finished the thought. I apologize yeah. for that dropping off. Yeah. Thing that I would add that was kind of surprising was we went into this saying, boy, we have an innovative concept. There's nothing else out there like this. It's exciting. The TAM is, you know, the TAM is, our, our pitch was the TAM is undersized based on how big the TAM is for products that are similar, like a collagen, for example, but sure. that product had its day in the sun. Spirulina hasn't. And so that was the basis of the pitch for the market sizing portion of it. And what we found was that was actually more of a negative than a positive where we went in think, like our, our, we, you know, our, I, we were drooling at the, you know, the mouth at this product that hasn't had its day in the sun. We can be the first one to do it. Yeah. Right. And, but the, the reality from pitching was, well, what are your comps? What, like, what can we, like, and I think there is this mentality with, uh, especially with institutional investors like VCs, where they need to look at something like that's that's been done similar. Like if we were doing a cold brew with a spin, somehow they can look at other cold brew companies and say, okay, like right. this company, hundred million to Kellogg, we can probably do something similar with this. So the fact that it's so untouched was actually more of a negative than a positive, which was interesting because I did. It just blew my mind that that was the that was the reception from VCs was it was um, it was something to be concerned about rather than something to be excited about. Sure, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And and you guys obviously, like I said, you're just getting off the ground here for everyone who's listening. Yeah, I know it's early, so there's lots there's lots that's ahead of you guys. A lot of exciting things, a lot of challenges. What would you say has been the biggest like unforeseen challenge that you'd love to share with everyone who's listening today, just to keep an eye on for their own ventures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think on our end, uh, just with the powders side of thing, cause the drink was its whole own whole own uh, thing. But I, you know, I think being patient is a really hard thing to do uh, because the reality is a lot of these things to know if it's going to work or not going to work takes a long time. And I think, because of just how people operate today, whether it's because of social media or because of things like Amazon, where you get, right. things, you don't have that with a business. You have to give it three months. You have to give it six months to see if it's working before you can feel confident in either changing something or putting more into what you're doing because it is working. And it's hard to sit there every day. You know, you're naturally questioning yourself, questioning your strategy, what you're doing, why you're doing it. And just to stay the course without wavering on it because it's a lot, you know, if you question yourself enough, you're going to talk yourself out of it. So you just have to really keep your head down and be open to things that are coming in, obviously, but recognize that you have a strategy in place. And if you think it's the best one that's at, you know, that you have in front of you, like keep on with it. And and then you can make a decision about what to do or what not to do. Um, but, you know, I, the other portion of it I th- that I would say is a challenge is, um, you know, just, when you're a company with very limited resources and just specifically like, you know, money in the bank, we ask ourselves every, like every time we spend money, we say like, is this something that could generate revenue for us? Because we're not at a place right now where we can spend money on getting like more lean swag out there. That's not going to really generate any revenue for us, but would be 
cool to send to your parents sort of thing. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. And like finding ways to like minimize your monthly burn and get to a place where you're profitable. And then once you're profitable, you know, you have the ability to like breathe again, because you know that the business is not going to just die because your, your bank account went to zero. Right. Those are coming to come to my mind of the two biggest challenges. Love it. No, that's fantastic. Um, obviously, would love to have you guys on again down the road when when you're up and running. And, and obviously, I'm sure in a year from now, this, it'll be a whole different view of, you know, challenges, wins, and, oh, yeah. and all that fun stuff. Um, some of the last questions as we're getting to the top of the hour, I always love to ask founders on here. The first one being, obviously, it's just you two, and you've, you've outsourced a lot of things as you've mentioned today. What are the the tools that you guys use as a two person team that lead Lena um, to keep track of everything? So, like, I'm sure there's just a million different things across different functions that shit that needs to get done. What do you guys use? Whether it's an app, is it just pen and paper? Is it a whiteboard? What are you guys using to just keep track of everything and, and get the important shit done every day? Uh, it's a good question, and I I would say I would before I I'll let John talk about the tools, but I would say because we were working our corporate jobs while we were pretty much doing Lena for two years, I think it just forced us to be really good at, you know, at any, you know, if we had like a five minute window here or 10 minute window here, you know, reply to a Lena email, or, you know, we were constantly texting each other like, Hey, you respond to this. I respond to this. You do this. I do this. And I think uh, we just, Got a very good habit, I think, of always telling each other what we were doing all the time. And so, you know, sometimes even when we're in the same office and like an email comes through, like I'll just start reading the email that comes through, even though I know he's also looking at it, like yeah. seeing the email come through. Um, and I think that helps just not make sure things don't like slip by the wayside, but we're really good at using a whiteboard. Okay. Uh, so we put, like really important things on, on the whiteboard, or, you know, if you think of a good idea or like, you know, questions that we have to ask, uh, the people that we're outsourcing things to, um, we'll put that on the whiteboard and then that way things don't fall to the wayside. Granted, I'm sure there's probably an app called, you know, whiteboard with no a in, in the name or something, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, there's something about doing it the old fashioned way though, of handwriting it out. Yeah. Because it, it's a very interactive process. Like if I would say once every three months, we'll sit down and say, okay, here's what we're going like, you know, to get done in April. Here's what we want to get done in May. And here's what we want to get done in June. Do those things always happen in that month? More often than not, no. But putting pen to paper and really think, spending, having a conversation about it, I think is what's, it's one thing to go to like monday.com and put in your tasks for the day, you know, for the next three months. But I think having a real, old-fashioned conversation pen to paper for us at least it seems we seem to get more out of it and it seems to be a lot better more fruitful of a conversation where we think about you know one like the retail strategy that we're talking about now is something that you know was just born out of just having day-to-day conversations writing it down spitballing it back and forth and you know i think one thing that's been hard for us is coming from a corporate world where everything is organized right like you have a lawyer you have your HR team, you have your marketing team, and there's always someone there to do something if you if it's not your responsibility. And now we're in this world where you need to do everything and yeah. there isn't anybody. <laughs> and right. you kind of 
yourself. So having more and more spending, you know, it's just easy when you're in the corporate world to like forward an email to your HR team and say like, Hey, how do we handle this or something? But if it's you having the conversation or you having to make a decision every time, then you need to have like a conversation for a few days about it sometimes to be able to come up with a good answer. And I think that's something that's been helpful for us is really on things that are, um, you know, especially money related decisions, spending a few days on, is this worth it? Is it not worth it? How should we think about it? Those sorts of things always seem to uh, work for us with those types of decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I even add like just being, you know, I think obviously COVID changed the way that the world works, but I, I do think that there's a lot of value when people are in the same vicinity of each other in person, because you're constantly talking about ideas you know, putting things out there, you know, you're, you're in, in a headspace where, you know, all we're doing today is like thinking about the company. And I'm not saying you can't do those things if, you know, you're on zoom or, you know, on email with people, but it's just, at least to me personally, like the buzz and the energy is just a little bit different. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, that's changed so much in the last two years that it's interesting now seeing like where companies are going to go um, now that we're kind of coming out of it. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, I love it. You know, it's funny. And I tell everyone that says this the same time. I always say the same thing. I would say 9.5 out of 10 founders I have on here say that the same thing you guys just said about pen and paper. I sometimes I think about it as like, there's so many things that can keep you organized and you <laughs> think you're doing more. But at the end of the day, it just seems like the most people, most people who are like creative and are like really trying to do things differently, like it's just pen and paper, pen and paper, you know, whiteboard similar. Um, that does seem to be the most commonly um, answered thing. So that's interesting. Love it. Um, the, the next question is going to be source of knowledge. So obviously the, the rich roll book might be the one we hear here, but, uh, for you guys and for everyone listening to the podcast today, what would be one source of knowledge, whether it's a book, a podcast, an article you've read lately, what would be one thing you'd, you'd tell the, tell the audience to go check out and read? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, The David Goggins book. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, love that book. Yeah, I was I mean, recommending it to me for a year straight, and I didn't. Re- I was either reading something else or I just didn't do it, and then I read it. And he's extreme. <laughs> I yeah, say that. Don't take his. You know, it's not written. Though I wouldn't do exact. I mean, unless you're and then go for it. But I think just the mentality of like a lot of running a business. You know, you're gonna. It's a daily exercise of like, okay, what is going wrong today, or what can we? What do we need to fix today? or who's telling us we can't do it. I mean, in the beginning, you, everyone was calling our Lena project, right? Every, like, even when we were fundraising, people were saying, this is a great little project that you guys are working on. And it was like, it's not a project, but I appreciate your support. <laughs> and so the mentality of, he calls it like the cookie jar mentality, which is like, it, it, there's an unhealthy version of it for sure. But the healthy version of it is when someone is negative, when there's a negative thing in your life, taking that, bottling it up, and then when you need motivation to get something done, remembering those moments as mo- as motivating fuel for you, you don't want to take it too far and just like hold on to things forever and never be able to get over anything. Cause that's very bad for your overall mental. But right. I think there's a, there's just constant things that are challenges. Right. And like remembering the hardship or remembering those moments when you're tr- really struggling or when you're really trying to push yourself is a, is a positive thing. It has been for us. I mean, there is, Again, don't take it too far, but for me at least, that was a book that I would always, I always, I would always recommend to people who are trying to start a company. 
Love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know Ryan. Ryan, I think it's is it Holiday or Holiday has a book called Ob- Obstacle is the Way. And okay, it's, that, it's fine. It's like the one I haven't read, so I'll have to get that one. It's 150 pages. Uh, it can be, but there's just a lot of good uh, examples in there about you know just the, the all basically the only thing that you can expect when you start a new endeavor is obstacles that are <laughs> coming your way. Sure. Oh yeah. Just the the you know, and just how like you just always have to understand that that's going to happen and just that there's always a way to pivot or always a way around it. So that's a really good book. And he's also on the, you know, Rich Roll, David Goggins, you know, Peter Atia <laughs> podcast tour. Oh, yeah. Like are on this, you know, Jocko, Jocko all on yeah. the same, you know, podcasts. Um, and then I think, you know, just something that I've come to appreciate from just reading a lot of different books and you know even listening to athletes like michael phelps or you know olympians and like they don't necessarily talk about any one moment as being you know the defining moment that got them to where they got to or you know any one workout that led them to olympic gold they just talk about all these little things of just showing up every day and putting in the work and and i think you know, sometimes now on social media or just the way, you know, everyone, like the instant gratification, you just, sometimes you just, you're just only getting the, the highlights from someone, right. 100%. That might have you know, great success. And it looks like they got there really quickly. And some people do, right. I'm not, I'm not saying that some people don't because some people are overnight success, right. Or some businesses like do catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, explode overnight. And, you know, more power to them, but 99% of the time, it's just, you know, the athletes or the businesses or, you know, the founders, the entrepreneurs are just, you know, showing up every day to just kind of push the cart <laughs> a little <laughs> further. Have you guys heard, you guys would both love this. If you love that, have you ever heard of the compound effect by, uh, I think it's Dan Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have. Yeah. That, that book is like, it just kind of bottles all of what you just said into one little short book. And it's just all about just like brick by brick daily, like doing things that you doing little things every single day builds into hitting, you know, what you did got done this yeah. week, which turns into a few weeks in a row, which you got done this month and then a year, and then you're accomplishing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's important. Yeah. And, and the only, like the last part I would add to that is you have to make a conscious choice to do it. And I think that like to just to show up every day, you know, and it, and it, and sometimes, you know, you might like, you know, have an event you have to go to, or, you know, something's coming up and it's like, do you plan the night before to like create that window the next day to get yes. what you get done? And even though in the moment, like those decisions don't seem that big of a deal, but to your point, I mean, they just compound over time and then one and then you know you end up where you want to end up or you don't percent i love that yeah exactly right or you, or, or or you do or you keep pushing the card forward and you don't yeah. <laughs> one or the other yeah. um the last question and the most important question is everyone listening obviously by now they're gonna be dying to try lena so yeah. what do you guys want to plug as far as where can people check out lena find out more about lena buy the product and get a hold of you guys if they have any more questions yeah, I mean, if you really, first and foremost, if you want a good laugh, I would go to our TikTok page where Cam and I 
literally bark like a dog and meow like a cat. I'm not even joking. Honestly, either. one of I follow you guys. One of my favorite TikTok accounts I follow. So just wanted to plug that in there. It's great. What's the actual handle? It's Live Lena. Okay, so I thought. Our platforms are Live Lena, LiveLena.com. Instagram is Live Lena. TikTok is Live Lena. But I, I think we have an underrated TikTok account. Like we just need to get some critical mass <laughs> and then, you know, the barking like a dog is going to take off. I'm, I, I'm with you. I think, I think the TikTok is, it adds a very uh, organic and, and like, uh, it's a way to relate to people who <laughs> actually are going to try this product. I love it. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah. We're, but right now you can find us on Amazon. So, you yeah. know, if you just search lean on Amazon, L I I N A, uh, where you're the first thing that pops up. So you'll see us. Yeah. You're doing a good job over there. We're the first Appreciate it. <laughs> we're going to keep it going that way. We got to get you guys as the top selling uh, supplement in the category. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah, I know. I think vital proteins is number one. So we're, we're, you know, we'll get them. Not, though. Well, they're, they're, they're worried. I can already feel it. You know, <laughs> they can only fall down. Whereas we can only fall up. See, so. Cam, I like you. I knew this, I knew this was going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, we're a class half full company over here. You know, I, I love it. No, I do love it. Well, it's guys, like a, thank you. I mean, we're like the rabbit is like poking at the <laughs> poking at like the wall or whatever, yes. and it's like, it's like failure. And then it's the picture of him showing, you know, right before he gets to the carrot. Yes, a hundred percent. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. awesome, guys. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really love this. Um, we'll we'll put all this in the show notes, and then obviously we'll share it out with you guys when we uh, yeah. when we go live. So thanks again, and we'll do it again. We'll definitely do it again. I think we should do it. You know, six yeah. months, maybe a little longer, and do it live in person when everything's all set up here in the studio. Yeah. So and then, like you can say the classic podcast thing. Oh, so great to have you guys back. Yeah, hundred percent. I got. I'm gonna have all of the the crummy lines. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, next time you're in LA, I had these guys on when they had 60 sales on Amazon. Yeah. Now they're doing 2000. Now, now we just passed vital proteins. We're on. This is, this is the way we're doing it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every time someone's recurring on a podcast, it's always the same, like small talk, you know? Yeah. Next time you're in LA, just like come and hang out. Always. I know we need some different, different voices, different, different conversations. That's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. Awesome guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you guys and uh, we'll talk soon. Cool. Yeah. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya.